Like I said, I've been inspired in, in the book of John this last couple weeks. And when I came in today, Chris asked me to uh, give a title for my message. And so right off the bat, the Lord gave me the title. He is who he says he is. And um, thank you, Chris, for inspiring me for a title. Anyway, um, it's really good to be able to come and share God's word with you and what he's been doing with me. And so this is really a, it's going to be um, a devotion to you that I've been in devotion with with the Lord. And the cool thing about John is the book of John points to the fact that Jesus is God. And I, you see that through the whole book as you're reading it. And it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And it gives you a sense of, of just confidence in that. And I love in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Right off the bat, it sets the, sets the scene for what's going on, and I just love that. And I'm going to end up speaking in chapter 5. But if you look at John 5, <clears throat> and this is where I was going to start, was, was John chapter 5. But the first words in John chapter 5, verse 1, was after this. So my first thoughts was, after what? And so that sent me back to John 1, 1. So now we're going to go, we're going to take a little a little ride from John 1 to John 5. And I just want to highlight a couple of things that inspired me about what I was reading. We see in, in uh, John 1 where John the Baptist <clears throat> is being questioned by the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and they're asking him, who are you? Because John the Baptist was baptizing people, and so they, they were questioning John. And John was saying, I'm, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not a prophet. And so he'd been talking to them about that. And then the following day in verse 29, John 1, 29, I love this. They're all standing around. The next day John saw coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's like, John the Baptist is talking to these guys about it, and then the next day is like, well, there he is right there, the guy that I'm talking about. He's, he, that's the man you want to uh, raise your hands to. It's not me. And I love that. <clears throat> and then so, again, pointing to the fact that Jesus is God and the Son of God, um, if you look down into verse 32, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, 
This is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I love that. So John's, he's like, he's seeing it right in front of him. And so he's inspiring those guys about who he is and who he is not. And then we, uh, we travel along a little farther, and Jesus, we see Jesus starting to gather his disciples, Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel. And then uh, in um, chapter 2, we see Jesus performing his first sign in Cana at the wedding, turning water into wine. Uh, I'm sure that would be a, uh, an incredible thing to see that. And they were amazed at how good the wine tasted. You know, they usually you, you bring the cheap wine out first and the good wine later. And, and so these guys were amazed. Uh, I did a play one time, and it was behind a sheet. It was at our, the last church I was at. And so we had this big sheet. It was a big wall of paper. And everybody was like, you guys would be out there. And we were just behind it, and there was lights. We had lights shining from behind us, so all you saw was silhouettes. And then we, we were doing a play about Jesus' life when he was a child. He was a carpenter, so we were banging on stuff, and you could see the silhouette banging and, and then uh, throwing Jesus up and Mary and all this stuff. Well, one of the cool scenes that we did was we, we had a picture and one was full of water and one had no water in it. And then when we poured the pitcher of water into the other picture, pitcher, it was bright red that came through. And, it, and so the, on, on the other side, you saw just regular water. And as it poured through, this one just filled with bright red color. And it was, it was really cool. I looked back at the video and saw, looked at it later. And I was like, okay, that's cool. <clears throat> but then I started thinking, Wait a minute, what if you were there at this wedding and you were experiencing this miracle? And Jesus at the time, he said, well, it's not really my time, but he was kind of, seemed like he was kind of forced into it. But I'm sure it was all planned out anyway. God knows what he's doing. So we see him, we see Jesus starting to publicly make, do some miracles, some signs that are like, okay, turning people's heads and wondering, okay, who is this guy? <clears throat> and then he went, he goes on to Jerusalem. And, um, and, and the cool thing about from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, J- Jesus traveled back and forth. And this wasn't like a, like a five-minute car ride. This is like a four-day walk between the two. And we see Jesus traveling back and forth from Cana in the region of Galilee to Jerusalem, and so he was making these trips. Well, that's a four-day. It's a four-day walk. So he was he was busy walking, and so anyway, he goes to Jerusalem, and he clears out the temple um, because the people were selling merchandise and all kinds of things. When I think about that. When God's people go to the temple, what do they want to do? So at the time, they were going to pray. They were going to sacrifice, make sacrifices. They were wanting to be close to the Lord. They were, they were doing what they were doing to, to stay right with the Lord. And I'm in, I'm in sales. I, I work for the 
at South Coast Lumber and, and uh, sell plywood and lumber there. And um, so I understand sales, but have you guys had like that sales guy? Hey, uh, I got something for you. We, we, we do a trade show in Las Vegas, and I hate trade shows because, you know, we set up our booth, we have our product behind us, and then <clears throat> we all stand out there like, like hungry wolves waiting for people to come by. And then it's like, you make eye contact, and like, okay, they're going to stop, they're going to stop. Ah, oh, no, he's, keeps, he's gone. And then we got, we got some guy making contact, and it's like, okay, there's one right there. So hey, how you doing? And it's just it's just cheesy. It's just like a you know, just a like a car salesman. And so if I'm wanting to go pray to the Lord and sacrifice my time, these guys are obviously sacrificing animals, but if I want to go be near the Lord, the last thing I want to do is deal with people trying to sell me a dove. And this is what was going on. So Jesus comes in, and he goes, get the heck out of here. This is a house of the Lord, and it's not a den of thieves. And so he clears it out. So he's coming in with authority and confidence and doing what's right. So we see Jesus now starting to gain some momentum. He's, he's, uh, um, he's affecting the people's thoughts about him by, by these miracles that he's starting to do, and so then we, we travel on into uh, chapter 3, um, and we see a man coming at him in, at night. And, of course, we all know that this is Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, opposite Jesus. You know, he's, they're always questioning who Jesus is. He's a Pharisee. He's from the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus is now... He's kind of interested in what Jesus has to say because he's, he's heard of some things going on. He's heard of this Jesus. So now in the middle of the night, of course, now this is kind of a secret meeting, right? So Nicodemus probably doesn't want to know, doesn't want his guys to know that he's meeting up with Jesus. So he's wondering about this relationship um, with this God that he's talking about, his father. And... Uh, it is, uh, you know, in chapter 3, it tells the whole story. But Jesus explains to Nicodemus the idea of being born again in the Spirit. And he was saying, he was confused about being born again. So Jesus is, he is explaining the way to be saved, being born again in the Spirit. And the cool thing about Nicodemus was he was kind of Jesus' advocate. <clears throat> he was arguing against the Sanhedrin and against his people that before you judge somebody, hear them out. And so that was, so Nicodemus kind of had a soft spot there. And we, we know that, well, at the time when I, when I study that, I don't see where Nicodemus was saved after he communicated, after he had the conversation with Jesus. But I later found which is really cool that I found it, and I was, because I was kind of disturbed, like, ah, oh, Jesus explained to Nicodemus how to be saved, and he was kind of felt like his heart was soft for it, but it, the story never really finishes. But when Jesus was on the cross, who was there? Nicodemus was there. So in my mind, 
his heart was right, and I felt like Nicodemus was saved, and because he was one there um, with his Savior as as uh, he was dying on the cross, and he helped him take care of him. Uh, moving on into chapter four, Jesus leaves Judea and heads back to Galilee. If you're looking at verse. Chapter 4, verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Any ideas? Go get some milk at the store. Stop in for a workout. Um, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along very well. The Jewish people did not go to Samaria. They were like oil and water. They hated each other. <clears throat> so for Jews to be in Samaria, it's like that doesn't happen. You know, they've had this war ever since Israel and, and uh, Judas split in 1 Kings. It talks about the story there. And there's this, all this... Uh, conversation about um, you should worship on the mountain, and the other was no, you should worship in Jerusalem. So there's this there's this conflict, and there was this conflict that went on forever and ever and ever. And but Jesus knew what he was doing, and Jesus loves all people. So I felt like he had a he had a meeting that he needed to take care of. He knew the woman at the well was going to be there. Jacob's well. And so he goes there and he explains to her. First, he asks her for, hey, can I have a drink of water? He probably asked, him, asked her a little bit different. Like, it's kind of funny because it says, what do you say? He says in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Just the first thing he would say is, give me a drink. And then he explains to her about uh, that, that he has this living water that she would never be thirsty after that. So, and she was amazed at the fact that, that Jesus knew all about her life, about her husband's and about all the things that was going on. And I was, this thing jumps out at me and just slapped me in the face when I read this. And I got to read it back to you because... It's pretty exciting. So in verse 21, Jesus said to her, and this is after he kind of talked to her about the living water and being saved and all that. <clears throat> in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jer Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So she's like, ah, okay. And then look what she says. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. So she's heard that there is a Messiah coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, 
He will tell us all these things. And what does Jesus say? I who speak to you am he. That gives me goosebumps. She was speaking to the almighty Savior right in front of her. She didn't know it. And I can only imagine her eyes when she realized who she was talking to. I mean, it must have been an incredible experience for her. And I love how Jesus just plainly put, I'm the, I'm the one who you've been waiting for, and I am here. Look at verse 39. <clears throat> and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his what? His own word. They were excited, like, oh my goodness, this is Jesus, stay. We would want him to stay here as well. We would want him to be, hey, can you be a member of our church? Because we think we kind of like it, you know? So hang around, we've got some things to learn. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Isn't that cool? So I wrote in my Bible. I used to not want to write in my Bible, but man, I write in my Bible so much now, I love writing in my Bible. The words that I have highlighted here is word, the word. And next to it, I have an asterisk, and it said, study God's word, because the power's in the word, right? Jesus brought her the word personally, and we have the exact same word right here that saves and excites us as much as it's excited her and the rest of the Samaritans. And then in, I have a little and, and I put meet together, <clears throat> Testimonies encourage each other. So that's what we're doing. We're coming together. We're, we're, we're hearing God's word and we're meeting together. We're encouraging each other to, to be confident in our Lord and to believe. This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus' ministry was to help people believe who he was. And that's what the signs were for. Did you guys know I got a text from the Lord today? <clears throat> yeah, thank you. What did he say? I'll tell you what he said. I got it right here. He said, <clears throat> When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Isn't that pretty good? Here's another version of that. This is in Psalm 94, verse 19. Just got this a couple hours ago from him. Here's another version of that. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. So when I received this verse from the Lord, I was... You guys, have you ever got a really, um, you're doing the dishes and there's way too much soap and there's a lot of suds. And so you have one of them 
faucet that you pull down, it streams really good, and you rinse it out, and you rinse all the suds down. Well, <clears throat> my week has been unbelievably crazy, and today was one of the most craziest days and filled with a lot of anxiety and uh, stress. And just about quitting time, the Lord sent this verse to me. And so the last two hours, this word that is given to me has been rinsing the stress out of me. And, but the Lord used the liaison to send me the message. And so, Sarah, I just want to thank you for that message today. So um, this allows me to come up today and confidently and comfortably speak because uh, without that verse, I'm, it might have been a little bit different. So without the family, without our church family encouraging each other, lifting each other up, praying for our needs, sharing the word, then it's, it's not as powerful as if we try to do this on our own. And so I really appreciate every face in this family, and um, I'm thankful for that. So again, thank you, young lady. So then Jesus continues his journey, <clears throat> and now he's in Cana, Traveled another couple days, and he is in. He is confronted by a nobleman. This is uh, now we're coming into verse forty-six, and this nobleman comes to Jesus, and he's asking him to heal his son, and he's traveled twenty miles to come and find Jesus, and. Obviously, he believes that Jesus can heal his son, right? Or he wouldn't have traveled all these miles. And it's, uh, it's a court official, not really sure if, who he is or what, what, where he's from or any of that. We just know that uh, he's an official and not a normal follower of Jesus. And so I like to highlight here in... Um, in uh, verse uh, 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and into Galilee, he, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then what did Jesus say? He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will, you will by no means believe me. And I, I thought about that, and I started thinking, isn't that kind of the condition of a lot of people in general today? Unless we see this amazing sign right in front of us, we, we generally have a hard time believing. Seeing is believing is kind of what, we, what a lot of people uh, live by. And the other thing is, <clears throat> the nobleman said to him, Sir, he, was, he, didn't, he didn't really respond to that very well. All he was worried about was his son. He said, Sir... Come down before my child dies. So he believed that maybe Jesus could heal him, but he didn't realize that Jesus didn't have to travel anywhere. And even if his son died, if Jesus wanted to, he could bring him back to life. So the fact that Jesus went ahead and said, go your way, your son lives, just speaking the word. I just love the fact that 
Um, there's power in God's word. And we can, we can take that and really think about that, um, the power in this word right here. That's where the power is at. All Jesus has to do is speak it, and it's done. And so for me, it inspires me, again, to think about his word a little bit differently. Um, and again, we've, we've gone through verses 1 through 4, and we've seen, we've seen a couple things. And then I kind of wrote a note down here at the bottom of verse 4. These signs point to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And if you were experiencing him during, the, during that time, you would, you would definitely be amazed at what he was doing. So then we get into verse 5, where I was initially going to start. And <clears throat> this is where I was focused on. And I'm going to just read verses 1 through 15, and I'll come back and talk about it. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, I have it here, uh, where did I put it? It is called Bethesda. There's a cool app on your phone that, that you can actually pronounce these words correctly. Because I would have said Bethesda, but the true way is Bethesda. Just thought I'd throw that at you. Um, having so, there was a sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he was already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise up, take your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Tough times. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have, made, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. <clears throat> Pretty crazy story when you're trying to put yourself there in that spot. And so for me, it was really, I love digesting it. So I, there's some cool things that go along with this. Um, for number one, 
there was a feast of the Jews. Um, so there's three holidays that the Jewish men that live nearby are required to attend at that time. One is Passover. The, other, the second one is Weeks or Pentecost. And the third one is Tabernacles. Passover, as you know, is, is uh, they, they were, the Israelites were passed over the night of destruction um, in Egypt. And so that's a celebration. And the second one was uh, Pentecost, which was celebrating the giving of the law when Moses brought the, brought the word down from Mount Sinai. And the Tabernacles was a celebration of the Exodus out of Egypt. So those are the three celebrations. And if you look at, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 16.16. What's cool about the word that we have is, is uh, we can go right back and, and look at what God's word says about it. Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. And it, that whole verse 16 kind of spells it out a little bit. But if you look at 16, verse 16, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So that's where they get this, and so they celebrate that. <clears throat> and then uh, back to verse 5, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I've not been to Jerusalem, been kind of studying it. Any way you get to Jerusalem is up. Has anybody in here been to Jerusalem? Is it up? From any, come from any direction, you're going up to Jerusalem. Right? Thank you. <laughs> I want to go. Um, so I'm kind of thinking, Jesus knew this thing was going on, uh, this feast. And do you think Jesus is going to comply with the feast, maybe? Or do you think maybe he has something else in mind? I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking he's got something else in mind. He remember he is in he is working at inspiring people to believe in being saved. And so I think again, he didn't go to Samaria to go get a gallon of milk. He went to Samaria to have an effect on on the people that the Jews hated. And so he's coming now to Jerusalem. The temples there Worship takes place there, and this is where the word is taught. So that's all about Jesus right there. So, <clears throat> now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. And when I read that, I'm thinking, what is a sheep gate? And it's pretty, it's pretty cool when you start looking at this stuff up. The sheep gate is a gate on the north side of the temple. If you look at a picture of, of, of the temple on the north side is a, a couple pools, and then there's an actual sheep gate. Well, the sheep gate 
is made to bring the sheep in. Pretty simple, right? Um, to sacrifice. So that's where they brought it. The other way cool thing is in Nehemiah 3.1. So hop over to Nehemiah 3.1, which is before Esther. It's before Job. Right in there. Sometimes I have a hard time finding Nehemiah, to be honest with you. Nehemiah 3.1. Then Eliashiv, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung its doors. So this was built a long time ago, and the sheep gate is the sheep gate, and it was built in Nehemiah's time by the high priest, Eliashiv. So an awesome fact. And nearby the, the gate was a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Now the pool was kind of right nearby this sheep gate, and it it means house of mercy. And so there's there's five covered porches. If you're you really get an idea by looking at the picture of it, it's it's uh it's actually a, a large pool, and then around it is these covered porches that go around it like this, all the way around, and then one right down the middle. And what it was, it was a perfect picture of the the law that was brought down by Moses, the tablets. And it was made that way. And it represented the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And if you look down on it, that's exactly what it looks like. So you had the Sheep Gate, and nearby that was Bethesda, the pool. And it was filled with, with people who were, um, well, in verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Physically unable to do for themselves, physically stuck, unable to walk, unable to, unable to reach out, unable to see. So there's a lot of pain going on. And um, I started thinking about that and thinking about how the, how the Spirit of God dwells in us. And if the Spirit of God does not dwell in us as believers, then we're unable to see. We're unable to see the needs of others around us. We're unable to walk uprightly. We're unable to reach out to somebody who is hurting. And so that correlation there, thinking about not being able to being stuck in the spot, not being able to move. It's, it's, it's physically horrible and spiritually it would be horrible as well. If we were a, a group of uh, uh, a family here together that couldn't see the needs of others, that doesn't walk uprightly and that doesn't reach out to others, we're in effect kind of useless, right? And so that was kind of the scene. Um, 
many of the people were laying around in the near the pool. And I I also thought about that too is is in the situation that we have today in today's world, there's a lot of people in life just kind of laying around the pool that aren't healed, that need that need the Lord. And um, it just is one of those things that just kind of hit me. It's like a lot of times uh, we just, that's where we end up, just laying around the pool, in the shade, taking it easy, useless. <laughs> <clears throat> For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there with an infirmity, 38 years. You know, kind of looking at that, um, picture yourself laying in the pool and, okay, the water's bubbling up. And okay, it's time to move. Let's, let's go. Well, who wins? The first dude there, right? Or gal. And so it's like you have to be first to be best. You got to try harder to succeed. Number one, I'm number one. You guys watched The Grinch before? I'm number one. You remember when he said that? He was in a three-legged race, the Grinch. You know, he comes off the mountain, and he's, he's going down, and he's, I don't know, they, he's, what, he's, what is he, Robbie? The, the, uh, what, what award is he getting? Yeah, the Hoobination Award. And so they're celebrating that he's like, he's won the award. And so they make him eat a bunch of fudge. They stuff his mouth, and they... You know, they're just railing on him. He's like, oh, I'm so full. He's all messed up. But he gets into this three-legged race. And you see him just coming down just with this kid. And all these kids, you know, are kind of in front of him. And he's going down, and he's knocking all the kids down. And he, he knocks them all down. Then he gets to the finish line. He's like, I'm number one. Ha, ha, ha. He's just laughing at all the kids that he knocked down, right? I love the movie. <clears throat> we can't wait for Christmas to come so we can watch The Grinch. And we know all the lines. But when I thought about that, you have to be number one to be healed in this story. And if you're not, you're a loser. And you just sit there. And this is how we're raised. You work harder, you try harder, and there is no second place, right? Yeah, exactly. The Grinch. In business world, um, it's pretty normal for you to get stepped on to take your position. People step on each other for, to promote themselves. And this is a picture of this right here. <clears throat> so Jesus comes upon this guy that's been with an infirmity for 38 years, and he probably looks like it, right? I mean, and he's probably the... He's probably in last place. He's probably at the back of the pool, and he's been there 38 years. He probably looks pretty, pretty rough. And 
Jesus is about ready to take him out of the competition altogether. That's what I love about this, is he doesn't have to compete anymore because he's about ready to just be away from it all. The crazy thing is, is in verse 6, when Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he was already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And Rob Rowe would say, yes, please, heal me now. That's what I would say. But no, this guy says, sir, I have no man to put me in the water when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So it's kind of interesting that he kind of explains why he, why he hasn't been healed, kind of relying on that. It's just kind of points out to me that you would think that he would just say yes. Um, so Jesus is really kind of healing a man that really didn't ask to be healed. He just picked him out. He, he, he felt that he was probably there the longest. I don't know. But it's kind of interesting how, um, like, the nobleman sought Jesus out because he heard of his miracles and, and asked to be healed. But Jesus, he decides to come when there's a lot of people around, this, this uh, festival is going on. There's a lot of people around this pool, and he just picks somebody out. And I thought that was kind of interesting, but the, the man just gives Jesus a, a reason why he can't heal himself. Um, I find that, that kind of interesting. Um, but then Jesus asked him to do the impossible. And he says... Rise up, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And he was immediately healed. Um, he had a choice to either obey Jesus' command, or he could have argued that it wouldn't work for him, too. Just kind of thinking about that. Thinking about my walk. Um, trying to apply that. Jesus gives me a command in his word as I'm reading it. Um, am I going to just take up, am I going to rise, take up my bed and just walk in, in what God's word says? Or am I going to argue a little bit of the fact that maybe it's not going to work or um, maybe I'm concerned about this or that? The answer should be, yes, I'm on my way and, and just to obey. And... So I, I just kind of um, thought about that one for a while, about, okay, am I responding in obedience to God's command every single time, or am I um, not responding the way I should? And so that's kind of what that, that verse talks to me about. I love this, um, this quote from Corey Tinboom. Um, you will never discover the Christ. You will never discover that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And that that really speaks to me a lot. And kind of thinking about thinking about the the guy that's been there for thirty eight years. Um, what a difference! What an impact he made. But. It's almost kind of like we need to be stripped down sometimes to nothing 
and then realize that when Christ is all you have, it's, it's, uh, it speaks volumes. And then, <clears throat> and then of course, the, the uh, Jews question him, okay, who's the, who's the character that told you to get up? Um, but then I, I kind of want to end it on where Jesus again encounters him in the temple. And it's cool, too, the fact that where is, where is this guy at? Well, Jesus finds him in the temple. So he was outside the temple by the pool, and after he was healed, he was in the temple. So I thought that was kind of cool. But Jesus said, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And I was thinking an eternal life separated from God is way worse than anything that we could be dealing with. Um, any sickness or any infirmity, um, the difference is, is tremendous. So just kind of summarizing, Jesus comes to publicly heal a man in impossible feet, unless you really are truly the son of God. And the people around him, what, what about the other guys? They're like, oh my goodness, you know, next, Jesus. And why didn't Jesus heal everybody at the pool? That's a question that I had. And again, it goes back to God's timing is perfect. And there's reasons that God does, God can heal. And there's, he, he decides if he's going to heal or not. It's just us to obey and rely on the fact that Jesus is God. And it's not up to us to question anything about it. The Jews could not break through the religion or tradition to accept the fact that Jesus is the true Messiah. They were hung up on it. They could not, they could not break through that. And I just love the fact that, again, that Jesus, his whole ministry was to, the signs that he made were to help us believe in the fact that he is the Lord and we can rely on him to save us. And so that's kind of what I got. Um, for me, walking away from this, it, it um, strengthens my thought process about my church family. It strengthens my thoughts about being in God's word every day. And then I think I should be like telling you guys more about what God's doing in my life. Like stuff like Sarah, you know? Hey, so-and-so text me this verse. Check it out. If we could just build each other up all the time and stay in God's word all the time, uh, I think we'd all really stay encouraged.